we have quietened down all of a sudden. All that, all that excitement. It's good to hear the children quoting from God's word. Now I understand because the time is somewhat advanced that I can go on to one o'clock. Is that the idea, one o'clock? Knowing the Irish, of course, have the so-called gift of the Blarney. You've heard that, haven't you? The Blarney. I'm not quite sure what the Blarney is, but anyway. Peace, my friend. Peace. Peace. Well, I want to tell you that I'm very pleased to be back in Boulevard. I love to come to Boulevard. The hugs and the kisses I get here. Ah. I tell you. From the brothers and the sisters, it's just wonderful. I like being here. There's life to this assembly that uh, I go to quite a few assemblies, not only here but also in Canada, particularly in Canada, and uh, Boulevard is alive. Boulevard is functioning as a New Testament assembly like no others. I tell you, it's just magnificent. So I just say that for your encouragement. Keep on, keep on trucking, as they say, and the Lord will bless you. Now I bring you a very simple message from Romans chapter 1, please. If you wish to turn your Bible to Romans chapter 1, please do so. Romans chapter 1. I'm going to be preaching the gospel this morning. I find that from when I go from assembly to assembly, I don't know, I can't speak for the Florida, I can't speak for the USA, but I can for Canada. The gospel is very seldom preached in our, in our assemblies today. That's a tragedy. Now, when I say the gospel, I mean the pure, simple gospel. I love it. In fact, back in Canada, when I preach the gospel, I usually do that in the morning services when I'm asked to preach. And uh, invariably, the older people come to me after the meeting and they will say, Harry, we have never heard the gospel preached in a long time. And to me, that's pathetic. Because outside the buildings, you have these signs, like the, the assembly that I co- go to in Toronto, Canada, has a sign up. Westmount Gospel Chapel and they've all got gospel chapels or gospel halls call them it if you want but the gospel is there on the sign and very often the gospel is not preached today at all and that saddens me greatly I just happened to uh, the verse that I'm going to read to you I was encouraged yesterday when I heard on the news that uh, over in London, I think it was yesterday, I'm not quite sure of the day, but I think it was yesterday that there was a huge rally in the city of London in England. A huge rally by thousands of Christians who had gathered together and their theme was on their banners and they wore them on their chest and they carried, not ashamed, not ashamed. That was all, that was their theme and of course they took their theme from first from Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 Paul says for i am not ashamed of the gospel of christ 
In other words, it seems to me that those who gathered in that rally yesterday or sometime recently in London, that they themselves, the people who gathered, are also declaring that the gospel is not being preached today the way it was. Romans is the Magna Carta of the Christian church. You go to Romans to find out what Christians really believe, what the doctrine of the gospel is, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of the gospel, the doctrine of salvation. It's a magnificent, and by the way, if we were to read the whole chapter, like for example, like even the first verse, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Right from the very start, he's talking about the fact of his great honor of being an apostle whom God has separated to preach the gospel of God. And then if you were to look also at uh, verse 9, For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. It's not only the gospel of God, it's the gospel of his Son. And this morning we were relishing in the first meeting in the fact that, that Jesus is God in the flesh. Even though this is a, something that's very, very difficult to grasp, nevertheless, it's a fact that the word of God teaches the gospel of his son that without ceasing I make mention of you in my prayers so he's talking about the saviour he's talking about the saints he's talking about the scriptures and then he comes to this wonderful verse I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Gentile for therein therein in that gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. This is, this is, new. This is good news, by the way. That's what gospel means. It comes from a Greek word. Now, I don't know much about Greek. But it's sometimes good to know these things. That the origin of this word gospel comes from the Greek word euangelion. From which we get our English word evangelical. It sounds like the Greek. Most of our words anyway are taken from the Greek and the Latin languages of the past centuries. And uh, so there it was. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. It's evangelical. It's good news. That's what it means. When the Greeks, by the way, when the Greeks were fighting their enemy, if they won the battle, if they got the victory, they would get a soldier who knew his horse well, and, he, and a horse had to be a terrifically good horse. He would go on the horse and off he would go back to the city where the army came from or the parts of the land. And his job was to announce the glad tidings. We have won the battle. We have won the victory. And that, by the way, was the euangelion. The glad tidings of victory. And that's what the gospel is. It's the glad tidings comes to you and comes to me that the victory has been achieved 
by the Lord Jesus Christ when he died on Calvary's cross. It's not an ornament that you wear around your neck. It's not a pleasant story. Well, it is a pleasant story, but it's more than an ornament and it's more than a pleasant story. And it's also, you know, a very interesting philosophical system if you're into the philosophy. You know, if you're into that highbrow stuff. I'm not, but you might be. It's a very interesting philosophy, but it's far more than that. It's a great victory that was achieved for us, for you and for me, 2,000 years ago in the city of Jerusalem. It's what the gospel is all about. This epistle is what the gospel is all about. The noun, by the way, gospel, is mentioned 77 times in the Bible. So I tell you, it has an emphasis. And the verb, believe it or not, the verb has also, like to preach the gospel, the verb is mentioned 77 times as well. Now the gospel, what is the source of this gospel? Well, God is its source. Well, you say, I don't believe in God. Well, that's fair enough. That's your choice. I'm not quite sure why you're here. But if you say to me, I don't believe in God, as most people today, most people today have given up on God. But you see, God is its source. And Christ is the subject of the gospel. If you preach the gospel, you have to mention the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who died at Calvary's cross. And that's the good news because we know from Scripture that he died for our sins. And grace. Grace is the content of the gospel. And this is what we marvel about. This is what I marvel about. It never ceases to amaze me. I was saved when I was 12, and I'm almost 79, as you all know, coming up to the big eight zero. if the Lord should spare me. I can't believe it. I've been saved all of those years, 67 years. And it's all, and I mean, it thrills me. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me and the fairest of 10,000 in my blessed Lord I see. How is that possible? How is it possible for someone to be saved when he was a mere boy? When his mum and dad did not believe the gospel? His dad was an atheist as I've told you before. How come, you know, God in his mercy through my Sunday school teacher, you know, telling me the gospel, I was broken down. And I trust that Christ is my saviour and I've lived 67 years to prove the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's real. It's real. Where are you coming from? Do you believe this gospel? Do you believe it's all about Jesus and all about God's love? Now why God should love me, I have no idea. No idea. It just blows my mind away. That God loves me. It's the, the gospel is the only cure for the world's sin. And yet, you know, throughout North America, well, I can't really speak for the USA. As far as Canada is concerned, they're, they're, they don't want to hear anything about Jesus Christ, generally speaking. And yet it's the only cure for our sin. The only cure. You've got a disease like no other disease. It's the worst disease in the world. And the only cure for that disease is the death of Christ who bore your sins away. It's the cure of the world's disease. It's the mercy seat. 
Back in the old days, you know, when the Israelites had the tabernacle, they had the mercy seat, and on the mercy seat, the priest would come in, the sacrifice would be made outside there, you know, at the altar, the animal was killed, its blood was taken, and it was splashed on the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was in the presence of Almighty God. You weren't allowed in there unless you were the high priest. And the idea being, of course, that this mercy seat, this is where God would meet his people. God would meet his sinful people there in the Holy of Holies. And there was the blood. There was the blood on the mercy seat, the lid. Amazing. And it's the only place that God would meet with his people. Same at the cross. That's the only place where you and God can meet. Where Jesus shed his precious blood. It's the only refuge from the world's doom. You talk about the financial crisis in North America. You talk about the financial crisis in Europe. I'm fed up listening to all of this. The world's in a mess and we all know it. And some of us were discussing during the refreshment time that the Lord is coming very soon. The Lord's coming is imminent. And this is far, this is far worse than the financial crisis. The world is doomed. The world is soon to be destroyed. At the coming of Christ... First of all, he will take his church home. You who are saved. You who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You who are saved by the precious blood of Christ. He's going to take us home. It's very soon, brothers and sisters. It's imminent. It's imminent. You can't help but feel it in your very bones. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Are you ashamed? Are you ashamed? I'm not. I'm, I love it. I love the gospel. I just love it. And I love to preach it. The simple gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Everywhere I go I will preach it. If I have the opportunity in the stores, my wife loves to go to the stores. Bless her heart. <laughs> well, I will find a seat, you know, somewhere in the... Or a conspicuous place there. But some, I'll sit down beside somebody and, and I'll, I'll tell the gospel to them. I was in a store the other day before we came to America and the, the, the store was full of, full of shelves. They were about eight feet high. I don't know how you were expected to reach up to them, but anyway, there they were. But all of a sudden, as my wife was looking for stuff, you know, I said, Lord, just send me to somebody. Is there anybody in this place except us? And all of a sudden, I heard these three or four women and they were yelling and screaming and they were taking God's name in vain. They were shouting out, Oh God, Oh God. I said, What's this? So I went right round and I, I looked, I looked, I looked round for these people and, and these, the, here were four ladies and they were arguing with each other and they were taking God's name in vain. I said, excuse me ladies, I heard, I heard somebody calling for God. Were you calling for God? Because he's right here. He's right here in this building. And he said in his word, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I got into my preaching mode. <laughs> and these women were dumbfounded. They wanted to know who this creature was. <laughs> but the seed was sown. You see, I love to do that. I love to do that. It's preached everywhere. 
And I'm confident it has the power to save. I, I, I have my own experience. My beautiful wife, the beautiful Betty, she was saved from an unsaved home. And she has been saved for many, many years like myself. We got married. I fell in love with her when I was 12. I told you that, didn't I? Yeah. When I was 12. And the Lord has blessed us abundantly. Abundantly. The power to save souls. Now only God can transform us. Don't look for modern education. I worked in education for 37 years. Well, I went to school when I was four and left when I was 55, as I've told you before. I was over half a century in school. The educational system will never save your soul. Never. They don't want Christ today. They don't want God. All the social reforms that governments can promise you and bring into being, all the political systems in the world, all of them combined, they will never be able to save your soul. You know, Paul was not afraid of the intellectuals. He was not afraid of the philosophers. I mean, Paul was a brainer anyway. He was a, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He knew his Bible, and he thought he was saved. He was an extremely religious man, but he wasn't saved until the Lord met him on the road to Damascus and revealed to him who he was. Then he became a believer in Christ and the greatest preacher of the New Testament, in my opinion, apart from Christ. <clears throat> he was confident in the supremacy of the gospel. Nothing deterred him from preaching it. He loved to preach it, and so should we. And that's why I love Boulevard. You're out there giving out tracts, doing this with the children. I love to hear the announcements. Give them out. Get involved, you brothers and sisters. Get involved. This is the work of God. This is what God wants you to do. It was unattractive then, and it's unattractive today. But so what? So what if people don't want it? So what if people slam the door in your face? So what if people say, get out of the way? Most people today find it repulsive. Most people find it very intimidating when somebody comes to the door. Now why is that? Because they know that the gospel will expose their sin. They know that the gospel will expose the depravity of... The, you're a depraved person and so am I. Apart from the grace of God. Oh, but people will preach about health today and wealth and how do you feel? I'm going to make you feel good. That's what a lot of people are preaching today. Success. You want to be successful? I'll give you the secret of success. That's a different gospel. That's a distortion of the gospel. The gospel is purely and simply this. Look, you're a sinner. You're on your way to a lost eternity. You're doomed. But Christ has come to save you. To cleanse you from your sins. And to bring you to heaven. Where you will be with him and serve him throughout all eternity. That's the gospel in a nutshell. But the gospel is distorted today. It's distorted. The crucified Savior, you see, is not very palatable today. People don't want to hear about a crucified Savior. No, they don't. It's the gospel of Christ, as Paul says in Romans chapter 1, which I've read to you. He's a person. This is a person. The gospel relates to a person. It's not a theory. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. If somebody preaches the gospel and they don't mention Jesus, there's something wrong. Something radically wrong. <clears throat> 
And Paul triumphed everywhere he went, everywhere he traveled there in the Middle East. He triumphed over all adversity because of the mighty power as he preached the gospel. He was put in prison in Philippi. He was chased out of Thessalonica. He was smuggled out of Berea. And he was laughed at when he came to Rome, the mighty capital, and also to Athens, the capital of Greece. These great places of superiority in the world, the great armies of the Romans and the great philosophers of the Greeks, they laughed at him. And they laugh at you. And they laugh at me. But so what? You and I know that we have the truth of God's word, that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. I believe that. Do you? <clears throat> do you believe that? Or do you think this is all nonsense? I'm challenging everybody here to examine their hearts this morning and to, you know, to come to the conclusion, am I saved or am I not saved? Do I really believe this or do I not? Now, you believers, you say you're a believer? Well, tell me, are you a committed believer? Now, I recognize that some Christians are more committed than others. But I'm asking you, are you a committed Christian? Do you go wholeheartedly into the work of God in the assembly here? Are you out to the meetings? Do you evangelize as God gives you opportunity during the week? If you're not good at evangelizing, do you pray for those who do? Are you a committed Christian? Because if you're not, I'm asking you kindly and lovingly to examine your heart this morning. Examine it. I don't want to put doubt in your mind. I'm just asking you to examine yourself in the presence of Almighty God. Now, there are some words here that stand out. The gospel is the power of God. Now, we all, most of you are Christians here, and you've heard it umpteen times, that this word power comes from the Greek word from which we get our English word dynamite. It's dynamos, dynamite. Now, dynamite is a very powerful, powerful tool. We know that. We know that. But the gospel, you see, is the power of God. You see, God, one of the features about God or one of the characteristics of God is that he is omnipotent. That means all-powerful. I believe God created the universe. I don't believe in the Big Bang Theory and all that stuff. I believe that God created human beings, Adam and Eve. And from Adam and Eve, we all sprang from our earthly parents. And we all carry that sin deformity with which they sinned in the Garden of Eden. That only God's power can save us. Nothing else. You can go to university and get all the grease and put them after your name and you can thrust your chest out and say, look who I am and all that stuff. I've got a grandson like that. He's 27. Pray for James. James is about to get his PhD degree. He got a first class honors degree in law and a first class honors degree in economics. And he got invited out to the International Monetary Fund. How do you like that in Washington? And he gave a lecture to all these big wigs who were trying to figure out the financial situation. And here's my 27 year old boy. 
Now James, you know, James is a nice boy. He's a polite boy. And he'll walk along with you and he will argue with you and he'll be polite and so on. But he's not saved. He doesn't believe in God. He doesn't believe that he's depraved and in sin. Doesn't believe it. His mum does. My daughter. His father does. They are deeply involved. And I spoke to a brother in the meeting just uh, between the meetings who told me of his cancer and I'm not sure if you've heard of my grandson the brother of the the brother of James whom I have mentioned he's 29 you know he he developed Hodgkin's lymphoma big strapping six feet boy he's an atheist he got a first class honours degree in civil engineering that couldn't save him he got a brilliant job and then his wife decided I'd like you to come with me in teaching and we'll have the summers off together. So he did that. He was no sooner doing his teaching course than he felt ill. Cut a long story short, he has Hodgkin's lymphoma. He's been through 12 treatments, this big strapping captain of the rugby team. Massive big fellow. The Lord brought him low. And when we were over there just to support the family during the summer months... We would give thanks for the breakfast, give thanks for the lunch, and give. And he was there. He came up for a week to be with us. And he heard us preaching, and he heard us asking God to heal Alan. We would come home from the meetings during the week and on Sunday, and we would talk about the meeting, talk about God's word. Alan was there. Alan heard everything. We didn't preach at him, but this, he heard it all. Still not saved. Amazing this. The most wonderful thing in the world and it's despised. His dear wife, well, his dear wife's a rabid, rabid atheist. There were hundreds of cards sent, you know, to Alan. And before they reached Alan, she would get them. They were sent by Christians and when she saw the word God in them, she had tore them up and throw them out. I mean... You know, pray, pray for her. Pray for Alan. They have no children. That God would save them. But you see, I believe, I believe that with God there's nothing impossible. There's nothing impossible. God can save those who defy him. Didn't he save Paul? Who defied the gospel, defied the, defied the truth of the, the word of God? All the schemes of men... There's no power in these schemes of men. The philosophy and the education and, and the economy. There's no power out there to save men and women and boys and girls from their sins. They cannot do it. No power to remove sin and the curse that God has placed upon us. No power. But God has the power. God has the power. All your good works and going to church and keeping the commandments and all the rituals that people go through when they go to church, that will never save you. There's no power in those things. They may be nice. They may be pretty. You might have a nice, warm, cozy feeling about that and leave the church saying, hey, you know, I'm all right. But you're not. There's no power there. The God gave us the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments tell us 
the law, the Ten Commandments in the Bible are called the law. And when we come to Galatians, we are told that the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. I was a schoolmaster, as I told you, for 37 years. Back in Ireland, the teacher was never allowed to sit at the desk while the students were in the classroom. Which meant, of course, like I, I didn't teach, I preached, I preached, I preached. Not the gospel, I wouldn't be, wouldn't be allowed to do, though I did do that in early days. But I preached mathematics, and I preached French, and I preached geography. And at the end of the day, I was exhausted. But you see, my job was to bring these children out of, out of darkness, as it were. Ignorance is a better word. To bring them out of ignorance into knowledge. That was my job, and I loved it. That's what God does. The law is our schoolmaster. Have you kept all the Ten Commandments? Of course you haven't. You have, def- you have denied every one of them. Well, the law says you're guilty. You're guilty. You're guilty of breaking God's laws. So God says, look, do you want, do you want something that will rectify this? God says the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Well, come to Christ. That's how it can be rectified. You come to Christ this morning. You come to the foot of the cross. You see Christ dying on that cross, shedding his blood, giving up his life, bearing your sin. And you say, I believe that Jesus died for me. Oh, man. If you've never done that, I urge you to do it this morning. I urge you to do it. The law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. To bring us to Christ dying on the cross for our sins. Romans chapter 5. When we were without strength, we had no strength. In due time, at the appropriate moment in time in history, without strength, no power. When we were without strength in Judah, Christ died for the ungodly. How do you like that? Those are powerful words. Powerful words. I love the verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The first, it says, the preaching of the cross. What I'm doing this morning. The preaching of cross to those who are perishing is foolishness. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. Do you believe that, brothers and sisters? Oh, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Do you believe that, my brothers and sisters? Yes. yes. Amen. It's the power of God. That's what the gospel is. Don't be afraid to preach it, because when you preach it, either on a one-to-one or to a group like this, you know it's the power of God. And it will thrill the hearts of God's people as well. Sometimes I go to meetings, you know, and I hear somebody preach the gospel And I would just love to get saved all over again. But you don't need to get saved all over again. Once you're saved, you're always saved. Always. It's amazing. The scripture talks about his glorious power. I could give you the verses, but there's no time. The Bible talks about the glorious power. The irresistible power. The unsearchable power. The great power. The incomparable power. The strong power. The effectual power. Power, the everlasting power, the sovereign power, and so on and so on. Follow these words in the Bible. It will be truly enriching. If any man be in Christ, says the Bible, he's a new creation. 
a new creation? Would you consider yourself to be a new person, a new created being? You know, I believe, as I said earlier, that God created the world. And that was mighty power. But God just spoke the word. And the universe came into being. Such is the almighty God who is our God. The God of the Bible. But in order to save sinners, God didn't merely speak a word. God sent his beloved son into the world. The one who was absolutely pure and sinless and holy and perfect. In order that you might be saved. In order that you might be made a new creation. In other words, the power of God to save your soul and my soul is greater than his power to create the universe. That's the God I believe in. That's the God. That's the God I love. That's the God of the Bible. Is he your God? Is he your God? Not only is the word power, I want to draw your attention to the word power. We'll just leave it right there. There's the word salvation. I love this word. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it's the power of God unto salvation. This is the greatest manifestation of God's power as I've already hinted. Transforms human nature. Now I'm not perfect, nor would I claim to be perfect. I'm perfect in Christ. And I'm thankful that God sees me in Christ. But I still carry the old nature. As well as the new nature, I have an old sinful nature that's still there and will be with me until I die. And likewise yourselves. The basic idea behind salvation is that of deliverance, rescue. And this is what God does to those who put their trust in his son. Today we prefer economic salvation. Everybody's running wild to make tons of money. That's the whole thing today. Improve the economy. Improve the well-being of people. Now, I'm not saying, for example, for, for one moment that I mean economics is not important. Economics is very important. And then people will say, well, what we need is a political system. And I listen to your politics down here. And quite frankly, I've got the head staggers. I, I can't understand what's going on with all these men and women. Can't understand it. And then there are those who are into the social idea. We have to improve the social life of the people. And then, of course, there are those who are continually frustrated and miserable. This is what we have today. And the only solution to these problems, my dear friends, I believe this with all my heart. And you'll excuse me if I get a bit excited about this, because I think this is the most exciting thing in the world. I, I don't go to sports activities. I'm not saying you shouldn't, but I don't go to them. And I, and I rarely watch them, though I love soccer in my old days. The thing that I get excited about today is this salvation. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it in the universe. Nothing like it. It's salvation. It delivers us from this perverse age in which we live. That's what the Bible says. It delivers us from being lost. It delivers us from our sin. I could love, I love to quote your verses on these things, but time is almost finished. It delivers us from ignorance. 
You know, you go to school to get an education, but they don't want God in schools anymore. They don't want God. Well, actually, that's not quite true. You know, the idea today is changing. I mean, they'll allow, they'll allow God in the schools today. You can talk about God, but please don't talk about Christ. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. You keep Christ out. I listened, uh, we had a memorial service in Canada just before I came south. And it was Remembrance Day. And at Ottawa, the capital, there they were. All the dignitaries, the members of parliament, and all the representatives of the Queen. Because we still honor the Queen over there, you know. Uh, but anyway, there we were. There they were all. I watched it on television. Very dignified, very beautiful. And then the minister got up to speak, and he gave a little sermon, and he mentioned God. And I waited, and I waited, and I waited. There was no mention in the whole ceremony of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God is acceptable to the Muslims. God is acceptable to the Sikhs and the Hindus, and God is acceptable to the Christian community. But don't talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't talk about it. And he's the one whom we worshipped and adored this morning. Brethren and sisters, I loved it here. I loved it. Young men getting up and pouring out your hearts. And the congregation singing praise to God. Now we're not perfect. We're far from perfect. But oh, the praise and the worship of our blessed Saviour. To be in the community of the saints here at Boulevard. And to see the bread and to see the wine that speak of the death of our Savior. And just to worship him. To worship him. Oh, I love it. I love it. Do you have that in your heart? Do you know anything about this? Or are you still in darkness? But you see, this is not only a gospel of power. It's not only a gospel that brings salvation. It's a gospel that is, a, is yours if you believe. Not ashamed of the gospel of Christ as the power of God unto salvation. To everyone who believes. Then the question is, do you believe? That might be your problem. If you're not saved, if you're not a Christian, it's because you haven't said, yes, I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, my Savior. My substitute. The one who died for me. On Calvary's cross. And by the way. Like, I mean. Like, this is so amazing. That God. God. If he's speaking to you now. And you're not saved. And, and you, you say that I believe that Jesus died for me. And I don't want to put words in your mouth. But that's what the whole thing's about then God, God is wooing you to himself. He's calling you. He's drawing you to himself. And you've got to believe. That's your responsibility. God has done his part. Now he says, you do your part. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's what it is. It's a gift of God. It's a gift. By grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. You can't do it yourself. You can't do it alone. It's the gift of God. If anybody wants to give me a gift at the end of the meeting, you know, I would say, thank you, brother. Thank you, sister. And I would just take it and say, I'm very grateful. I'm not suggesting you do that. <laughs> Though some of you may be inclined to want to do that, you know. A gift. 
beautiful. It's coming up to Christmas. We give gifts. We have no problem. It's simple. You take the gift. You take it. I'm asking you to take Christ this morning. In the closing moments, I'm asking you to accept Christ. The gospel is all about salvation. It's all about power of God acting in your life. It's all about faith. It's all about righteousness. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. How do you like that? Oh, I love this word righteousness. I do. I love it. You know, you look upon me and you see a prematurely bald man who's advancing in years. And you can see me coming here year after year. And you can see that I'm beginning to lose it a wee bit. You know. That's my human frame. That's the flesh. You know. I'm getting slower. I'm getting weaker. And those of you who are advanced in years like myself will understand what I mean. And you young people, if the Lord should tarry, your turn will come. Ah, but, but, when God looks upon me right now, and I believe he's present in the building. You see, this is what is so beautiful about God's salvation. His presence is everywhere, and you're aware of that. You're aware of that. When God looks at me, he sees me clothed. Not in a brown suit and a yellow tie and brown shoes and all and a cream shirt. He sees me clothed in righteousness. Like to me, to me this is staggering. He looks upon me as if I'm perfect in Christ, which I am. In Christ I am perfectly righteous in the sight of God. Oh, man. <laughs> like, isn't this wonderful? Isn't Jesus my Lord wonderful? I have seen, ear have heard, it's recorded in his word. Isn't Jesus my Lord wonderful? I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And finally, finally, in this verse, it says, The wrath, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. That's the crisis today throughout North America and throughout the world. The crisis today is the imminent return of Christ and God pouring out his wrath. You say, I thought you said God was a God of love. He is. He's a God of love. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you. Well, then how can he be a God of wrath? But the point is this, God's a holy God. And Judgment is a function of his holiness. In the same way that you have a judicial system in the USA, if you've done something wrong and you're found guilty, you're judged. The judge pronounces you're guilty. And you're, you get the penalty for that. And this is exactly where we get our judicial system from. We get it from God. God looks down upon you. You're guilty. You're under his wrath. He's going to penalize you for your sins. He doesn't want to though. He says, look, take my son. And I will clothe you in righteousness. Like as if you had never sinned at all. Ever. 
And this is the gospel which we preach unto you this morning. This is the gospel of God's grace. Magnificent. Absolutely magnificent. It's Jesus. I like the hymn, Jesus, thy blood and righteousness. My beauty are my glorious dress. Midst flaming worlds in these arrayed, with joy shall I lift up my head. Bold shall I stand in that great day. For who ought to my charge shall lay, fully absolved through these I am, from sin and fear, from guilt and shame, completely absolved from these things. Lord, I believe thy precious blood, which at the mercy seat of God forever doth the sinner plead for me, e'en for my soul, was shed. Lord, I believe, were sinners more than sands upon the ocean shore, thou hast for all a ransom paid, for all a full atonement made. What a wonderful God we have. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. My fellow believers, leave this Rejoice in the Lord. You're saved. Your sins are forgiven. You're on your way to heaven. Praise his name. Those who are not saved, if you leave, remember the wrath of God is upon you. If you die in your sins, don't do that. Take the world, but give me Jesus. All its joys are but a name. That's it. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Do it now. You young men, you boys, you boys and girls who are present, put your trust in the Savior and give your life to Christ. Become a man of God. Become a woman of God. And seek to spread the good news to those all around you. May God bless your, God bless his people and bless his work. Shall we pray? Our Father, we bless your name. We bow in your presence. And thank you for sending your Son into the world to be our Savior. A remarkable story. The greatest story ever do told. The greatest drama that ever was played out on this world stage was the coming of your Son into the world. And it's Christmas time. And we not only celebrate Christmas on the 25th of this month, we marvel and rejoice every day of the year that your son came. He was born, he lived, and he died. And the whole purpose of his death and burial and resurrection was that our sins might be forgiven. Father, look upon us in mercy, we pray. If there's someone here still in their sins, May your Holy Spirit speak to them and lead them to Calvary. And may your people who have heard the story so many times over the years, may they rejoice in the glory and the riches of your beloved Son who loved them and gave himself for us. We bow in your presence and give you thanks now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening. God be with you. We will not take time to sing.